You're listening to AAAD Presents Good Trouble, a space for interdisciplinary conversations related to academic engagements with Black knowledges, history, arts, cultures, peoples, politics, and ideas. This podcast is sponsored by the JMU African, African American, and Diaspora Studies Center. Hello and welcome to this episode of AAAD Presents Good Trouble. I'm Morgan, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lamont King and Dr. David Uwusu-Ansa. Thank you for joining me today. So to start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself and your affiliation with JMU and the AAAD program. My name is Lamont King, and I am retired from JMU uh, now, and I'm currently uh, engaged in working on music, something I did before coming to JMU, which I picked up after I retired. My name is David Owusu. Answer, and uh, I got hired here at James Madison University in 1986 as um, faculty in the history department. I was the first full-time African-trained faculty person uh, that is African history-trained faculty person at JMU. Uh, I came in when Dr. Dan McFarlane, who has introduced Africa in the department, was about to retire. But Dan himself was trained as an American historian, and he has interest in Africa. So he and another faculty member in the history department, and later on who moved to the, the art history program, Marta Caldwell uh, had a course called the West African Experience. Uh, So I took over that particular course and uh, worked over the years with colleagues to do the introduction to African courses. Of course, we kept the West African Experience course uh, in art and art history. At that time, uh, Dr. Phil, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Phil James, was the chair of the department. And he was also somebody, uh, in addition to my own chair of department, Dr. Uh, Michael Gargano, <clears throat> who actually gave me the adjunct money to give to the art history department to make sure that we continue that course. So that's where we started at. Uh, Currently, I am the Associate Provost for Diversity. I've been in that role for the last three years, and I'm stepping out of it at the end of this academic year. But I have a different um, role that I have played actually since 2007 as the Executive Director for Faculty Access and Inclusion in the Division of Access and Enrollment Management. And I will continue with that particular responsibilities. When was the African, African American and Diaspora Studies Program, formerly known as the Africana Studies Program, introduced at JMU? And or when did you come to JMU and when did you get involved in the program? Okay, as far as I know, the program itself began as African, African American Studies with Drs. Walker and Ousuansa in the History Department. I believe sometime in the 1980s, but I'm not certain of that. I did not come to JMU until 1997, at which time it was still the African, African-American African Studies Department. 
when I got here, in terms of African history itself, it was very much at the ground level. Uh, however, my colleague, Dr. Jackie Walker, who had been here uh, by the end of the 1970s, was already teaching African-American uh, history in the department. In fact, Jackie was the chair of the search committee that hired me. And I also knew that a year or two before I got here, uh, Dr. Joan Garbin uh, had been hired and she was doing English literature uh, with African-American concentrations. So I was not the first actually here with regards to what would become the African-African-American programs, later on the Africana programs and subsequently AAAD. There were two people before me, but we worked uh, in different ways that ultimately will generate the, the groundwork that will come together later on. What role did you play in the conception, implementation, or development of Africana AAAD studies at JMU? Well, I, I was history. I was in the history department myself, so obviously I would hear from it, from, about it from Dr. Walker and uh, Dr. Oswanza. Well, I, I, I would say that no, nobody started <laughs> thinking of trying to create a program. We started uh, thinking about what courses, what contents. Uh, we didn't even think, at least I didn't think, that we can actually bring all of them together into an Africana program. I was trained uh, at institutions. You know, I'm trained as a religion, uh, honest uh, religion uh, student for undergraduate program uh, studies in Ghana, West Africa. I did my master's degree at McGill in Canada in Islamic studies. You know, so in Ghana and at McGill, you have the institute that is very much insulated in Islamic studies areas. Uh, my doctoral degree at Northwestern has a program in Africana uh, Library, Heskovitz Africana Library, but that's the first time I really heard about Africana. Uh, but we are all in African history areas, and our supervisors and directors were either West Africanist, East Africanist, you know, or Islamic North Africa. So we 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 were trained where you are in compartments as opposed to bringing them together in a way. So when I started teaching here, I was not thinking about if there was anything at all to create, my dream would be to create an African studies program. But that was not the, what the university has money to create and bring in African scholars all over. What we were able to do uh, is as we started uh, Dr. Walker doing his uh, hair courses, Dr. Garbin doing hair courses. Then, of course, in the English department, you started getting other American um, English uh, scholars coming in and leaving and coming in and leaving. Um, and then as we were doing the Africa part in the art history program, um, that also has individuals who are in and out and in and out in the Africa area. Uh, so you really didn't think about any permanency in that particular side. Uh, but uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Boyer, 
uh, who was the chair of the sociology anthropology department. Uh, they have had Latin American uh, scholars who were also in and out. They come and then they don't stay and they leave. And I remember one time having conversation with Bill uh, and I said, well, if only you had an Africanist, you know, it was just a joke, <laughs> they would stay. <laughs> and he said, well, really? You know? So ultimately they couldn't fill the Latin American position. And then they got uh, uh, Dr. Siegel, I believe was her name. And she came in as an Africanist and then she left too. And then later on they brought in uh, another Africanist who actually stayed, but that was over the years. Uh, I remember that all during this time, there was uh, um, uh, in the geography department that was at Miller Hall, uh, you have other individuals who showed interest in Africa. You know, even though they were not Africanist, you, know, you have Steve Wright, uh, Steve Wright who came in as a cartographer and he did all these works. Uh, he did work at the World Bank and all that. Uh, but the conversations intensify over the years. Uh, then Karen Sprouse, I believe chair of the English department, uh, no conversation with me at all, but she is the one who hired Dr. Ramingo Tsotsi as uh, someone who does African oral literature. So as these individuals started coming in and as students had the opportunity to take different courses, uh, Africa-related and African-American related, uh, students started actually asking for more engagement. Uh, so I would say that student uh, interest in Africa and African-American literature actually helped us ultimately to, to, to bring together some of these ideas. Uh, we have um, uh, Dr. Uh, Imani uh, in anthro sociology, anthropology, who talked uh, a course in uh, uh, race and ethnicity. And Imani was actually a force uh, because he had been educated at the University of Florida where they have some of these African uh, orientals. In fact, in 1986, I went to Gainesville, the University of Florida in Gainesville for a summer fellowship and they have a very strong African studies program. So Imani coming from that area and his interest is going to encourage us uh, and putting pressure on those of us who have been here earlier on to say, no, what are you guys doing? Uh, this is not how to do it and all that kind of stuff. And then we start thinking about an Africa, African-American studies program that we are bringing our courses together to say if students did these particular comb combinations, they can actually have a minor. So in a way, we created a minor for ourselves before the university actually recognized it. You know, and so that means that we're going to be frustrated right from the beginning. There is not a university recognition of a minor, but we are saying that there should be an African, uh, African, um, uh, African American studies minor. And this is almost always uh, 19, no, 93, 94, uh, and of course, a couple of years later, I created the first Africa-based uh, study abroad program. So you're beginning to see the opportunity to go abroad uh, um, as part of experiences. Uh, and then uh, Dr. 
Melinda Adams and myself uh, with the editing uh, support from Dr. Jennifer Kaufman, we write a grant. You know, and I remember actually when I wrote the grant with Melinda, we titled it Connecting the Dots <laughs> because we have all these things that existed and we wanted to argue that there is something missing in our program and that if we got a U.S. Department of Education grant for language, uh, we might actually bring a critical part of our programming. And that's what we got the money. Dean David Jeffrey actually supported that. Uh, and as a result of that, we were able to write for a position in Swahili that actually we did a search and we got uh, Dr. Uh, Bessie Mohinja to come here at that time. And so by that time, we are already forming what was the Africana program, you know, and uh, I think that in 2002 or so, I stepped down from the leadership of the program and tried to get other faculty members who were here to, to, to lead. Now, of course, from the beginning uh, till about 1990, uh, we always listed myself and Dr. Jackie Walker as the co-directors of the program that was not really well supported by the university anyway. Uh, and um, I would say that when you say that you have a minor, university administrators at the college level that were interested in monitoring the minors were more interested in looking at uh, IDLS. Uh, IDLS have a core number of education students that the numbers were very large. So if you have a minor that had about less than 10 students as in, in it, they didn't think that it was relevant. Uh, but they were not counting the number of students in our classes that were not signing up for the minor. Uh, so that was a point of frustration for me, uh, for Imani and those people who really thought that our work was not you know, being recognized in a way that can actually make you proud of what you do. Certainly, it keeps you within the academic department, but it did not liberate you into the, the, the larger space uh, where you can say that we, we have a minor, we have an university or a college supporting that, yes. What do you see as the major goals of the program and what motivated you to help establish or grow this program? Yeah, initially the program was just to uh, provide a, a minor. It was a minor program to provide uh, history majors and other interested students. Uh, a, I, I guess a, a mm, I, I don't know what the proper word to use, but to, an introduction to African and African American history. Now that I became administrator, uh, I see the value of programs such as ours. Long before I became administrator, I knew for sure. I talked to some of my senior colleagues. Uh, Dr. Michael Gargano had been my mentor from day one. And he often told me about um, parents who African-American parents who will ask him as a chair of the department of the history department to say that what kind of courses I hear that 
might interest my son or daughter. That is to say that not only did students come to JMU, but for black and brown parents, they thought that it was important that we have programming that actually not only taught their children uh, mathematics and computers or any other thing, but uh, learning about the history of. So Dr. Walker taught, uh, thought, uh, taught a course, um, African-American uh, history. But he, she always made the argument that African-American history is American history, okay? Uh, and if we do not have that particular course uh, and sustain it and put it in this proper content, then the institution is not emerging out of what it was when it was only white female institution. We have to get to a point where knowledge uh, is not only uh, crafted in a way that does not include the total history of the populations that have contributed to this great nation and of course to this university uh, as well. So you, you can see that uh, the idea that one teaches Africa history, for, for example, for me, uh, it was not sufficient to teach African history because I, I could have taught it at an R1 institution. Uh, all my peers were teaching in R1 institutions and why am I coming here? Uh, where there's nothing that can really engage me into my research. Uh, but I also felt that I had this background at home uh, coming from a very strong Methodist priestly home. My father always called me Reverend David. He thought I was going to be a priest. <clears throat> but I, we ended up becoming teachers. So all my father and their brothers are teachers. And I wanted an institution where I could teach. And I wanted to teach things that I can actually make difference in the lives of my students, both blacks and whites and everybody. And I thought that the partnership that we created over time actually allowed us to be better teachers because in the company of others, you can share ideas, you can challenge uh, and things of that nature. And creating the Africana program itself made it easier for me, for example, to learn from Dr. Walker, uh, who actually has a number of primary source books on African-American history, but much of it, part of it, the earlier parts of it were very much transitioning from Africa. And therefore, if I'm teaching Africa, then I have colleagues whose work actually informs me to bring that into my Africa course so students can get more than Africa uh, content course. And I think that's what the programs really uh, has been doing for our students. And I must give credit to um, Dr. Molly Godfrey and uh, Bessie Mohinja, uh, who, when they became the co-directors, we have always had directors, single directors, programming, Dr. Darian K does it, Dr. King did it. Uh, but when we have those co-directors, I think that they worked in a way that actually brought incredible new ideas uh, that expanded the conference that Dr. Betsy Mohinja actually introduced when I was the director at that time 
to become a more consistent and better sustained uh, JMU uh, uh, activity. And that actually put us at a space that a AAAD concept actually transitioned um, uh, to become the, the, uh, the, the, the idea of a center emerging out of the Africana program that we had. So you had the single courses in the 80s, late 70s and early 80s into gradually building and connecting it into the Africana program and ultimately now transitioning into AAAD and then a AAAD center. What challenges, if any, did you run into trying to create, administer, or develop the AAAD studies program? Yeah, well, well, basically, when I came in 97, uh, the African-African-American studies minors were just transitioning into the Africana studies minor. And the problem was primarily... Uh, not so much with recruiting students as it was with getting the university to realize that the program was designed for white students as well as black. When you go to a triple AD, that means historically you have actually gone beyond Africana. Okay, so in terms of the timeline, uh, I think that the triple the AD conversations, I was not part of it as such. It was the work of uh, Molly Godfrey and Bessie Mohinja uh, and the support uh, of the provost's office and the dean's office that actually made it possible. So you have to credit uh, Dean Aguirre and uh, Provost uh, Coldman for that. Uh, but the frustration that we had in the 90s uh, into the early 80s, uh, into the early uh, 2000 uh, was the idea that there are certain programs that can easily attract, okay? Uh, you can do gender studies, women and gender studies, that um, uh, some of the persons who led that program were already academic unit heads. And therefore, when they are speaking, people do listen. Okay, Dr. Wally, for, for example, that is long ago. Uh, when you have faculty members leading programming, trying to put it together and steer it, you don't have enough influence to do that. Uh, so we are constantly connecting what we saw as relevant programs. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, IDLS, which is actually a state and institutional supported kind of teacher uh, program education. So that draws an incredible number of students right away and administrative support and directorship is there. So when you have the Office of Cross-Disciplinary Studies under which we were put to monitor our work, uh, if there were any greater funding for activities, and I believe that some of my colleagues who became directors may talk about that, uh, it was like going to beg for money. And if you have programming that your budget is less than $5,000 for a program, then it is not a program that actually institutionally one is demonstrating a commitment, okay? Uh, because what you can do with that two, $3,000 is just to run a conference 
And so the people involved in that conference need to go around department to department, see who can support what. So that's how we survived that particular period. Uh, but there was a commitment by the faculty engaging the courses that this actually created a community, honestly, uh, for retaining faculty and their research. And also giving us the space to say, the research that we do in AAAD or Africana faculty really has a place at JMU. And today I can say that that is some of the things that we are trying to uh, encourage, that diversity in the curriculum and diversity in content actually is very important. It's not only important for minority parents who want to send their children to JMU. It is for all students who our institutional mission said that we want to get people through JMU when they graduate, they become uh, engaged citizens, uh, not only of Harrisonburg, but the world. And the world is very diverse and has so many different perspectives. Uh, and if, if we do not bring these particular combinations and support them in centers where students can have identities and engagements and other kind of, kind of uh, um, intellectual activities that is meaningful, then we are not doing the job. And I think that Triple uh, AAAD Center, the way that uh, the Dean's Office and the Provost's Office have been mentioning it as a greater accomplishment is very important uh, to the point that now they are looking for a more permanent director that is being nationally set. That, that is uh, something that I would never have actually thought of 36 years ago when I got here, okay. How has the program grown or changed between when you started and now? When I first came to JMU in 97, our, our major goal was to have the program uh, put into the gen ed curriculum. And uh, while I was there, we did that. Um, Dr. Ousuanta Amani, Melinda Adams, uh, Jennifer Kaufman, um, uh, Joanne Gabin, uh, Jackie Walker, Dr. Wutsuanta, uh, Nikita Amani, who is no longer at JMU. But uh, we all worked together to develop a course that would be appropriate for Gen Ed. And our big hurdle and big goal was to get that course into and accepted by the Gen Ed program. And we did that. So I consider that a major uh, a major accomplishment. Uh, as for the program today, as you well know, we now have an Africana Center. So we've gone from uh, crossing that initial hurdle of getting it into Jed Ed now to having a, a center to, uh, devoted to Africana or an African, African-American and diaspora studies that is currently called. So I think that is a, a, a great deal of progress. Are there any particular memories or stories from the early days of the Africana AAAD Studies Program that you would like to share with our listeners or really anything else that you'd like to share? Well, my particular memory, and what I thought was the most important hurdle, again, is getting the Africana Studies Program or the African-African-American Studies Program or the, or the African-American Diaspora Program, as we call it now, <laughs> into the general ed curriculum. And the funny story is that administrators, who I will not name currently, but many thought, 
that, in fact, one of the major objections they had was, well, there, there are not that many black students at JMU, and how many people will you have taking it? And the realization that that was, that was amusing because the, the, the assumption there was that African, African-American diaspora studies was solely for black students. And, and that amused many of us. That was the major hurdle that I think we overcame in the early uh, 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 2000s. And so uh, that's, that's the most lasting memory of, 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 of the kind of uh, struggle that we faced uh, getting, getting this program uh, situated in the university. Well, um, I, every time I've had the opportunity to speak uh, in the company of Dr. Joan Garbin, I mentioned, I don't know if she remembers, but there's a story that actually stick with me. If you go to the basement of uh, Kiesel Hall, it's very, very low, low. I think it used to be a swimming pool, I'm told. That became classrooms and all that. And that was the class that I attended when Dr. Garbin was teaching. And he, she was talking about an African-American uh, uh, female author uh, wrote a book titled, What is Africa to Me? <clears throat> and uh, for the author, the Africa to her is very a conversation uh, about her being a black woman in America at a certain time in history and therefore talking about her blackness in America, but linkage to Africa and all that. And that has left me, every time I talk and think about my work as an African historian and as um, somebody whose relations uh, contributed to something like this at JMU, I always ask myself, what is this program to me? Uh, I think it is something that we can point to, not for any one person to take credit for, but it's a collective thing that nobody dreamt that it would be, but we created it by just doing and just complaining a little bit here and there. And occasionally, you know, somebody hears you and say, why don't you do it this way also? You know, the, the story I would say that Creating the first program abroad in Africa was not my idea. I resisted it. I had gone to have a drink with uh, uh, some colleagues, uh, um, uh, Dr. Smith in the College of Business, which used to be at the Quad in Harris Hall, uh, and, uh, and um, uh, Andy Cohen, and they were talking about London programs and they're doing some abroad in London. And, and one said, why don't you create one in, in Ghana? And I said, for what? You know, so I'm thinking about the challenges of doing a program and what parents are going to say. So it all happened in 1996 when I was going to do field research for my second book. And uh, I went to um, the then director of the Studies Abroad uh, Office, Office for International Programs, uh, Kate uh, uh, K. Arthur. And I said, if you bought me a ticket to go do my research, I will investigate to see if there's a possibility to do a program in Ghana. And she bought into that. And so <laughs> no, when I got to Ghana, I spent, I spent time traveling to those locations that I might take students to and in fact, I came back not wanting to do it. 
uh, actually, because um, the economy in Ghana at that time uh, was just emerging from uh, difficult uh, structural uh, adjustment challenges, as the World Bank would say. And traveling with Ghana and the course of program and taking students was not something that was attractive at all to me. But Dr. Gargano, again, and a colleague of mine, uh, Skip Heiser, said, hey, if you do the program, Dr. Gargano said, my daughter, who is a UVA, and uh, Skip's daughter, uh, uh, niece, was at Mary uh, Washington, said, they will go. And I said, oh, really? So I got 10 students to take to Ghana in 1997. And that was the beginning of the program. We came back very excited. But we also, in fact, up to yesterday, we were talking about students take opportunities to go to study abroad in Africa. Before COVID, we were taking in June and July close to 40 students, 20 per month, June and July to Ghana. But they are doing that so late in their academic life at JMU. So their junior year becoming seniors. By the time you come back, you haven't done sufficient Africa-centered or African-American-centered courses to count for the minor. So, you know, the, the, the trick is how can we really get students to think about Africa? What is Africa today? Because I have been on uh, national grant review things for students, uh, uh, Fulbright Hayes and other kind of stuff. And students who did undergraduate programming in Africa before they got to grad school, have a better chance of getting some of these important awards. So these are some of the things that we have to you know to be sharing uh, with our students and trying to encourage them uh, that these particular uh, minors, that is not a minor in history, but a minor in a major in history, a minor in Africana studies or AAAD, or a major in philosophy and a minor in Latinx studies or something like that, is a very, very good value for your education. And uh, these are the things, you know, the stories, I, I know it's not a funny, funny story that you like to hear, but certainly uh, I'm always thinking about uh, how best we can serve our students uh, and what content should that be, yes. Absolutely, that, those are, that's a great story. I actually, um, I was actually working on um, the, I worked on uh, posters for the study abroad. So I got mm -hmm. to see some pictures um, from some of the trips to Ghana um, and it was really interesting. Um, then I hope that Dr. King told you that he gives us money for scholarships, did he? No, he did not. He didn't. Well, Dr. King went to Ghana in 1998. Uh, no, I think 19, 1999. Uh, and when he came back, he, his uncle in Philly, who is a medical doctor, uh, Dr. M. King, William M. King, asked him how many African-American students were in the program that he participated in. And he said, none, zero. And uh, so he talked about the cost of the program and the elder Dr. King says, how much would it cost to sponsor a student? At that time, it was about $5,000. So Dr. King sponsored two. His uncle sponsored two students. Since 1998, they have sponsored students. And before Dr. 
William King passed away, he agreed that the money should be made available to all students who want to go to Ghana. Uh, so we have Dr. William King Charitable Scholarship uh, account number 15553 uh, in foundation that actually uh, helps us to make sure that African-American students get the opportunity, but also uh, students who have financial challenges may get a little bit of support here. And we have learned that even a $500 scholarship makes quite a difference in the decision that students make. So uh, I want to make a plug for here. I'm surprised he didn't talk about that. Yes. yes. No, thank you for mentioning that. He didn't. He did not say that. That is a very good. Um, it's very mm -hmm. good information to have. Um, yeah. Now they give us a lot more money than started uh, before. So that's fantastic, and we thank them very much for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Triple AD Presents Good Trouble. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Triple if you would like to send us an email, you can find us at AAADstudies at jnu.edu.